if, if you've grown up not wanting to make mistakes because that was beaten out of you in the system, mm-hmm. or if you've grown up trying to be perfect in your appearance, all of that, it's tough. Now you have to go onto a podcast and you have to be human, which is not easy. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Graham Brown. My next guest is the founder of Pickle & Company, an award-winning podcast agency, an AI-powered, data-driven B2B podcast agency in Singapore, and the Podcast Accelerator, a mastermind of thought leadership podcast hosts. He's also a published author on the subject of the digital transformation of communication. So when it comes to getting his point across, he has a bit of an advantage. His passion for understanding how we use technology to communicate has led him to host several podcasts of his own, including Podcast Maps, the Be More Human podcast, the XL podcast, XL 10-Minute Leaders Live, and Asia Tech podcast. He's published over a thousand podcast episodes, and his work has been featured in the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal, just to name a few. His list of clients is impressive, too, including McKinsey, Leap, UTI Investment Bank, AirAsia, Nokia, UNICEF, Disney, and Monster Energy Drinks. His name is Graham Brown. And if you want to learn more about podcasting for your brand and effective communication in general, this interview will definitely be something you'll want to listen to. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, Graham. I really appreciate it. And I know it's the end of your day because you're in Singapore, right? Thank you, Jody. Yeah, it's great to be here. So my first question for you is why Singapore? So I live here in Singapore, lived here for three years, previously living in Japan. And yeah, I've lived in Asia a lot of my life. And Singapore's a great place. You know, you've got the vantage point where you can, you know, you're very close to all the big markets, China, India, Southeast Asia, Japan, Korea, etc. So it's got all of that going on and it's very familiar. If you speak English, it's an English speaking city. Okay. Nice and to it's know. It's clean and it works. It clean it's clean and it works, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that's a good selling point to you don't me. Ask for much. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. So what drew you to Asia in the first place? Because I know like from your accent, I mean you're you're obviously from someplace else. So I was just curious why from you England, chose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I was always fascinated with Asia. If you grew up of a certain age, so I was born in the early 70s. I was born in 72. So I, uh, I mean, when I grew up in the 80s, Japan was it. I hear you. Japan yeah. was Sony and TDK and Toshiba and yep. all these brands, like TDK tapes, <laughs> 120 tapes. That was a big deal. That, that was like revolutionary. And obviously the Sony Walkman. So for me, Asia was always the future, especially Japan. So when I got the chance, I went and taught English in Japan in 95, 96, I went out there. Wow. For me, that was like an opportunity to go to the future. And it was at the time, Japan was just coming out of what they call the bubble. Mm -hmm. So the bubble economy, that was the end of Japan Inc. But still it had traces of it. It was great. And I wanted to go. I mean, 
Asia was the only really exotic place for me back then. If you think about it, if you grew up in, you know, the English speaking world, either you went to Europe, which you were very familiar with, or you went far East as it was called. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably shaped everything that you do right now. So that's fantastic. And I grew up in the same era as you, so I understand. <laughs> tapes. Oh, yes. Yeah. You understand mixtapes. I do. To... I do. What a pain in the butt those were. <laughs> oh, you, I, I used to love doing them for friends and oh, they're fun. You know, ex trading them at school. And then you could, you were like an influencer before the word. <laughs> That's if you great. could give people tapes, you were yeah. an influencer. Well, the or, the early video games too were all yeah. like a lot of them were Japanese companies. So oh yeah, I mean, so Nintendo yeah, Sega, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty awesome yeah. stuff back then. So you know, that's one trip down memory lane. I'm going to ask you about oh, another one. <laughs> yeah, there's My more. My life is just a memory lane. <laughs> it is a long road. <laughs> a long, long road. Yes. <laughs> lots of avenues are going off lanes. Uh -huh. So here's an avenue for you. What is the first sound that really made an impression on you? Like, do you have a, an early impression of a sound that really moved you? Hmm. Well, the one that I remember, I don't know what was the sound that I remember distinctly. I mean, music has obviously made a big impression on me. Sure. My mom used to play ABBA. <laughs> okay. Yes. On the record player. And then she had, I remember she had Sergeant Pepper's. Mm, the gatefold mm -hmm. so that it would get a run out and i also mom what does and what does lucy in the sky with diamonds mean <laughs> she's oh. just a poem don't worry about it son oh, so yeah. i remember all of that i was very much influenced by music in that there was always music in the household that's what i remember those quite made an impression upon me so how did you get involved in sound then? I mean, you've been doing that for a while, communication mm. and all of that kind of thing. So what led you in that direction? I don't know if I'm more geared towards sound. I know some people say they're auditory learners and some are more tactile, kinetic and so on. Or visual. I'm not sure if I am. I'm not, yeah, I'm, some people have got really good visual memories. Mm -hmm. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if that's my disposition. However, if I think you are very much passionate about people, communication, travel, culture, and languages, then sounds is the root of all of that, really. Yeah. And therefore, I ended up in sound. And storytelling, obviously, is a massive part of that. So I don't think you can be passionate about storytelling and people and culture if you're not into sound. It's pretty difficult to do it. That's a good point, if yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's just a vehicle for me, really. It's just the best way of doing it, the most effective way of doing it. And then you wrote a book about communication, right? So yeah. how did that come about? Well, I was involved in the communications industry, as it was called, mobile, back in 99, 2000, it started helping telecoms companies communicate with young people. And that was fascinating because they really didn't know how to do it how to tell stories, how to communicate, how to engage pre-social media. You know, you're talking 99, 2000. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there was a big gap. I mean, now obviously brands know about social media, but back then it was brands, traditional advertising, teenagers. There was a lot of gaps in that formula. Yeah, I know, message boards. Oh, yeah. BBS. 
Yeah, and yeah. PBS. Yeah, they were all well, around. Brands but... wouldn't know anything about that. They didn't yeah. know anything about there theirs was, you know, big ad campaigns. There's a lot of communication gaps in there. And for me that was very much like being back in Japan trying to communicate with people in, in different challenging environments. So you have to learn how to listen. That, that key skill. I mean, one one thing I found about language as well is that if you want to be the 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 base of language is listening that you can i've seen people for example and i've done this myself if you're on like a subway in japan you see a, a westerner so an english speaking person and a japanese speaking person and the japanese the japanese person is speaking english and the westerner speaking japanese to each other <laughs> right and it's, yeah. it's really funny to watch and there's a, there's a real reason for that because if you can if you can listen to me and understand me, then we both are on the same level, right? But if I'm talking to you in English, and you're Japanese, you won't get most of that. So listening's the base of everything. I feel in communication relationships. Definitely agreed. So what's the process of writing a book about that? <laughs> well, my my book was more like a a travel story where i went around the world i went to ah, okay just a lot of crazy places i went to india i went to brazil to the favelas in brazil i went obviously spent time in japan and i was writing about how young people used mobile phones oh okay. i went to document it from more of like an anthropological mm -hmm. viewpoint how did they use them how did they use technology in their lives what did it mean to them and this was like 2008 9 10 that i was doing it and really capture that moment of what people were doing, especially that generation. Everybody was saying, oh, they're digital natives. They're just born into digital when they weren't really. <laughs> yeah. They were just trying to find a way to connect better. And that's really what it was. You know, this was a generation that grew up without playing on building sites or in the road or whatever it was, or playing out until dark. They were a generation that never had any of that. So they grew up very disconnected. And therefore that was a way of, telling their story that's a, yeah. you know there was some young kids in shanghai japan or kids in the streets of um sorry shanghai china and kids in tokyo or even the poor kids in there was like uh, poor kids in favelas in brazil who had mobile phones and would document news they would do news reporting from their phones inside the favela inside the slums right it was really yeah. cool so I guess everyone uses it in their own unique way. Did you find similarities between these places and, and what they used them for? I mean, was it hmm. documenting their life? Was it, were they thinking of influencing at that point? Or were they just telling people what the world was like? <laughs> I think the last one, Jody. Yeah. And mostly dating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the dating seemed to be universal. I spent time in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. and at the time in 2008, I think it was that they were using Bluetooth. You would walk into a mall and you'd get bombarded with all these Bluetooth messages. Oh. And it would say like, handsome prince wants to dine you tonight. <laughs> and it would be a message from handsome prince 13 or something. So... <laughs> That's the way they communicated with each other. And because they couldn't actually, you, you couldn't walk up to each other and, you know, chat loosely with somebody of the opposite sex. So it had to be done through Bluetooth. And I, I found this, it's amazing. It was like somebody had built a wall between 
two groups of people and they'd worked out a way to tunnel under it effectively. You know how that works in history, right? Sure. And that tunneling yeah. under it was the mobile phone and that tool to do that. And I found that that happened everywhere around the world, that young people had these walls in their lives and they were using technology to tunnel under it, climb over it. And there was, an absolute, there was a really, really fascinating one from Japan where you talked about BBS. Oh, yeah. Now, a very cut a long story short, Basically, Japan has used to have these public message board systems because of earthquakes, because of tsunami and stuff like that, that they had these telephone systems where you'd phone up and then you would dial the box number, like say your box 100 and like leave a message for Jody. And that would be, okay, we're safe. We're at the evac evacuation site. Everything's fine. Because this was before, you know, mobile phones really took off and before texting. And then Jody could phone the number, pick up the message from Graham and everything's fine. But about 95, 96, young high school girls learned that they could use this system to leave messages for each other and for dating. <laughs> so okay. rather than, you know, because it wasn't controlled in the way, nobody knew how they would use it. It was called Dengon Dial. And they would phone these boxes and they would leave a message like, you know, young Prince 13 wants to dine you tonight or whatever the equivalent was. <laughs> or, you know, I'm into J-pop, I'm into uh -huh. SMAP or something like that, some group. And they corrupted it, but they turned it into this really powerful messaging system. And that, you know, that then led to texting later on. And so it was amazing how young people would really break the, the system to to achieve that kind of social end. And that, that was universal. That was the amazing thing. Everywhere in the world, they were doing this. And at a later level, that became innovation, I suppose. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while, totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. What a great idea. I mean, if you're kept from doing things and you can do things, you know, beyond the uh, view of people who would look at it dimly. <laughs> no. Well, you know, and yeah, exactly. And you know how to use the system and they don't. <laughs> then that kind of, Music. you know. Yeah, it's an interesting... Well, MP3s uh, are the same, right? Remember Napster? Yes, I do. Wow. Yeah. And how that changed everything, really. I mean, because of Napster, we had iPod. And because of iPod, we had iTunes. And because of iTunes, we had iPhone. Look where we are now. Well, all the streaming mm. that we have now oh, yeah. that's online, movies, music, 
the podcasting itself. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's all Netflix, due to yeah, Spotify. Yep, two of yeah. the biggest media companies in the world. Even Disney, iHeart, SiriusXM. Yeah. I mean, all of these places, like they're all they all owe their their existence to the early days of streaming. Kids. Really. Yeah. yeah. Kids. Yeah. Pirates. It was. And then the corporations thing. take over. <laughs> they monetize it. Yeah. That's always how it, it goes. <laughs> it's funny how it's become so mainstream now, though. So oh, amazing. Yeah. You remember, my, we're of, a, of an age, we'll remember even, I wasn't a, a heavy uh, torrent user or streamer. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. But I, I dabbled. And there was a point at which actually if you were found to have been using these torrents or these, you know, Napster on your ISP, that they would actually send you a cease and desist and sue you personally. Totally. Yeah. And even, yeah, that was crazy. And there were were cases in North America. VPNs came into being because of that. (laughs) I mean, that was one of the big reasons I'm sure that, that, yeah. So you could, you could mask your IP address. Right. And yeah. now people are using it in order to be able to watch uh, a different country's Netflix stream. Mm, I mean, mm, like, yeah. so all of these things are, they all work together. <laughs> they do. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, relentless. Kind of amazing. But I guess at the end of the day, if, if you create any kind of barrier between our natural disposition, which is to connect with people, then they will find a way. And it just so happens, I think, the premium for younger people is higher, they've got less to lose. And the value of connecting is higher. Therefore, they're the ones that are going to find it first. Yeah. You know, yeah. They don't mind. They tend to be more immersed in it too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, I, I, here I am saying they. I still feel like they. I'm 25. Them kids. <laughs> Them yeah, kids crazy. get off my lawn. They're ruining yeah. it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Kids oh. these days. Isn't yeah. it awful? You hear that? <laughs> Oh my goodness. But your mom didn't explain Lucy in the sky with diamonds to you. So (laughs) no, I don't think she knew. She didn't understand it. That was the problem. Okay. She was only, she was only superficially into the Beatles. Okay. I see. Like everybody else (laughs) at that generation. She didn't really understand what the lyrics meant. Oh no. Okay. Well, I think she might've done, but maybe she was just maintaining face. (laughs) She didn't want to tell her son. <laughs> well, I did ask her once. She said John Lennon was a favorite Beatle, so that gave her away. She didn't say Paul McCartney. If she said Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr, I'd be like, yeah, you don't understand what the lyrics are about. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so she understood, you thought, yeah. Yeah, I was probably. <laughs> okay. Reluctantly. <laughs> that is funny. So uh, sort of switching gears a little bit here, um, mm. because I know that we're talking about communication, definitely. And you've gotten really heavily into the whole podcasting thing. I mean, it, it's pickle, right? That's your yeah, your, yeah. So why did you start that? And and what are you hoping to accomplish with it? Hmm. Well, I started it because it was really a to use a Gary V term, a side hustle. Ah, I see. It was okay. a, a side project. I had a pro, I had a podcast at the time, and I started it as a pet project, and then. 2017 people started asking me about it and how do they do it and then i thought maybe i could monetize this then that snowballed into a business idea and that then became a business and then in 2018 we found that there were brands who needed help with podcasts 
So after a few false starts, because it was difficult to monetize, when we could sell them, but making a profit was different because there wasn't many playbooks. There wasn't any playbooks for podcasts then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you started a social media agency, you had you know many options to, to borrow from, right? But for us, it was all new territory here in Asia. So that's why we started and we, we've tried things. So individual podcasts and then sponsored podcasts and we did our own content, our own narrative podcasts. And then really where we've settled is in helping corporations, enterprise tell stories. So that's what we do mostly enterprise podcasts. So it's people like um, investment banks, IBMs, McKinsey's, these kind of companies mm-hmm. who have great content, but you know, Traditionally, they've gone down very um, controlled communication channels like PR and white papers and so on. So it's really interesting to see them flourish on these channels. So how do you instruct people who are used to the corporate stuff in reaching people who aren't in the corporate environment? Or Mm. because I'm assuming that these people they're trying to reach aren't necessarily B2B all the time. Mm. Um, I mean, if it is, then that's a different story. But, you know, if you're trying to reach the general public and explain to them what you do and why you do it and why it's important, Mm. how do you help these people tell their stories? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's important to remember that the even the B2B audience are the general public. They're not different. They still resonate with stories. They may know the terms a little more, though, is what I'm getting at. Right. (laughs) Yeah. They might be technical yeah i think for them it's more um okay if you were selling for example if it was a b2c story then it would be mass market etc but really there isn't a lot of difference in the sense that you still have to tell stories you still have to be engaging you still have to be human and authentic that's the challenging part Jody, because if you're a corporate, for anybody <laughs> well yeah if, if you've grown up not wanting to make mistakes because that was beaten out of you in the system. Mm-hmm. Or if you've grown up trying to be perfect in your appearance, all of that, it's tough. Now you have to go onto a podcast and you have to be human, which is not easy. Yeah. It's hard to be vulnerable. Well, that's the key word. Mm. That is where it really starts to unravel because what is vulnerability? It isn't just you know, being caring is about admitting mistakes and not pulling back, not editing yourself. Right. And that's really hard and takes practice. It, you almost have to go back to the beginning of you in a sense and unpeel all these layers that we've built around ourselves, this armor that we've accumulated in the corporate world. Yeah. And I guess if you're more, you're higher ranking, you're more likely to be good at that game therefore harder to unlearn it. Definitely. I'm sure it would be really hard to be vulnerable as the CEO of a big company. You know, I mean, mm. you're not sure you want to put that out there, maybe? I don't know. I, <laughs> but I, I think people admire it, mm. uh, but I don't know. I mean, is there a happy medium? Do people just feel uncomfortable in general when they're doing it? Or do you work with people who are particularly comfortable doing that? I think they have to want to do it. 
Yeah. If they're brought kicking and screaming into the recording, <laughs> it's then not going to work. something <laughs> not working here. Yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling this person doesn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not I, I, what I found. I found a couple of things. Firstly, there are those CEOs who love it and are really good and can be vulnerable. And one of the best ones I've worked with was Tony Fernandez from AirAsia. Mm-hmm. He's the founder of AirAsia. He's a billionaire entrepreneur. He's a bit like Mark Cuban in the US. Really, really good on podcasts. Very vulnerable, very authentic. But that's him. He runs a service business, an airline. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that works really well in that instance. You can see how his personality then becomes the DNA of the brand, the story about caring. If he looks after his people, his people look after us, the customers, right? That's the reality. So he works really well on that. And then what I found is there's another group who are career CEOs, chairmen, and so on. They're, they're not necessarily the self-made CEOs. They'll go onto a podcast and at the beginning they'll come with their tie all done up and shirt <laughs> yeah. buttons. And then, you know, by episode two, they're like, you know, loosen the shirt collar and, you know, roll up the sleeves. And you see that progression, which is really nice. And they really loosen up and they're having fun. They turn up with all their notes, episode one. And then episode three or four, they've just got like a small piece of paper with bullet points on it. (laughs) They're winging it a little more. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. And you can see they're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So there's that group. Those, those, there's a lot of uplift with those guys. And then I suppose there's a group that just really will never get out of that shell. You give them a lot of opportunities, give them a lot of, you know, sitters, like, you know, to pull it out of them, but they always kind of pull back. They always talk in generics rather than specific stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, you know, they can never give examples and then they, it, it's very airy their conversation they can do 30 minutes without saying anything wow yeah (laughs) that's kind of impressive actually well maybe (laughs) not for a podcast (laughs) but it's impressive in general (laughs) do you think so that is a skill isn't it It definitely maybe they should be a politician skill yeah there you (laughs) go jinx we're on the same page there jody it's like the one that gets asked the question answer the question mr politician Mm -hmm. and they they do everything but answer it yeah yeah but there you go maybe that's it isn't it politicians and rock stars live two different very like two different lives right? yes rock stars is they don't care about 51 percent of the vote do they rock stars is just 10 percent. it's like you know they can get away with all kinds of crazy behavior yeah <laughs> look at politicians like if a politician does so much as kiss his aid there's a there's a story in the um the uk at the moment one British politician who kissed his aide, you know, his aide being his, you know, support, his secretary. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he's being booted out of the cabinet. If it was a rock star did that, they'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Not that I condone it, but I'm just saying the point is it doesn't matter to the delivery, right? Yeah. So the point is, it's like, you know, when you're, you're a politician, they're so fearful of making mistakes that, that's why they talk in complete generics all the time. You know, everybody's out there to stab you in the back. Yeah, it's tough to uh, be that much in the public eye and be aware of how hypercritical everyone is about everything mm. you do. I mean, I, yeah, I, I imagine 
yeah <laughs> oh my it's god horrible. like there's <laughs> social media now is just uh, yeah it's brutal <laughs> twitter so it's just noisy uh but all forms of communication yeah exactly is you it know? though well I, I think it depends on who's using it now right mm. like has it gone past the development of the young people or is it like yeah is it just there now and people are doing what they want with it or is it really innovative still mm. who knows mm. I know that we're all dealing with a lot of stuff these days, so I particularly wanted to acknowledge those that have taken the time to leave honest reviews of this podcast, like Elaine Grant, who called the show insightful, practical, eye-opening. As a veteran public radio producer and host, she says, and now an entrepreneur running a podcast consultancy, I thought I knew about the world of audio. Truth is, I knew just a small slice of this big and important world. I've learned so much from every episode. I need to re-listen and furiously take notes. I can't recommend audio branding highly enough. Thank you for taking the time to leave your comment, Elaine. It means so much to me. And now, back to the show. I think that's kind of where social media is going. That's kind of why Clubhouse became such a huge deal, I think. Because it was new and it was a little exciting and it was a really intuitive way of communicating. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go, but I know Twitter Spaces has its own. So Spotify Green Room. Yeah, Spotify Green Room. Although right now it's just kind of the skin of something from Spotify put onto yeah. something that was called, I think, Locker Room. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's all sorts of it's, things. It's a mess at the moment. It's really messy and really buggy. But they'll fix it. I mean, they've got money, these guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly Clubhouse got a whole bunch of uh, investment yeah. money. I mean, that's good for them. I think it's fantastic. I I'm on yeah, there a social lot. Social audios. <laughs> are you on there, are you? I am yeah. on there a lot, yeah. I have uh, weekly discussions with people about the power of sound, actually. Cool. And, uh, yeah, anytime you want to join me, you're more than welcome. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You're hanging in there with Clubhouse and like now that it's kind of died down and kind of settled a little bit and all yeah. the the flyby audiences have gone, now it's kind of people actually using it for what it should be used, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying it for the fact that it allows me to just be audible mm. as opposed to having to worry about my makeup on a screen. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's just a little painful, yeah. you know, sometimes being on Zoom can be just annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think half the world feels like that then, right? Oh, yeah. By now, yes. We're all pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. But but our voices are our natural selves in a lot of ways. I mean, it's hard for you to put on. I mean, you can. I'm, I'm a voice actor. I should know. but <laughs> But you can put on a voice, but... It, it tends to, you know, your true self tends to come through in your voice a lot more than it does maybe in your expressions. Absolutely. So, yeah. Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, best-selling personal development book of all time. He wrote the follow-up book, which I read as well, which is really good, Eighth Habit. And the eighth habit he wrote in, I think in the 90s, because of it, things have moved on since he wrote The Seven Habits in the 80s. And then, you know, obviously the information age was upon us in the 90s with Windows. He wrote that and he said the eighth habit was finding your voice. Oh, okay. And your, your voice being your true self. 
and the gift that you have. You're absolutely right. You can't fake it. And when we talk about finding our voice, we really mean that finding ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's what it means in, in, you know, indirect translation, I suppose, in everyday language. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important part of being able to relate to people. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, absolutely. Well, I think my, my wife, for example, she will say, you're not listening to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It never says you're not looking at me. Uh-huh. Like when we, you think about that in terms of how that is in our relationships, we feel heard. I feel heard to means to be understood, doesn't it? Literally. Yes. When you hear somebody, I hear you. It means mm -hmm. I, I feel your pain almost, doesn't it? You know, when totally we talk does. about customers, we listen to them. So all of that, I mean, that's so important. Like audio is the base of relationships. Yeah. Human relationships. I totally agree. It's the whole reason for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is a huge part of, you know, not just what we buy, but how we relate to one another, our daily lives, mm. everything we do. So, yeah, it is yeah. super important. And, and it really reveals who we are to each other. Yeah, there's been a lot of work done in, obviously, deep fake now, hasn't there? For example, yes. transplanting your voice onto Barack Obama's and all that kind of nonsense. And it's really interesting how that's going. And most of it is obviously video but to fake audio is really hard but whilst you can fake transactional audio like you phoning the restaurant and putting in an order you can't fake this mm -hmm. this is really hard there's too many nuances and subtleties and lanes avenues that you go down that a machine can't understand there's too much fuzziness there This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Until next time.